Boom, put boom, boom, side, B side, what side are you on? Welcome back. It's another episode of A side, B side. What's going on, Adam? Not too much. How are you, Brooke? Well, um, you know, <laughs> physically, I'm fine. Um, I don't want to dive too deep into it because my emotional range goes from pissed off to crying, but since it is in your <laughs> city, <laughs> yeah, um, we can't not address what just happened to... No, and there's no... You're uh, saying the, the emotional reaction is kind of roller coaster. Um, I feel like the entire area up here has been doing that on a daily basis between just, I mean, the complete shock. I mean, it, and senselessness of everything. In the midst of a trial. Right. Of a it, it, police it's just like, officer killing a black man. A black man is killed but, by a police officer. It is, I mean, unfortunately, that happens on a nearly daily basis, it feels like. But the fact that they are within miles of each other uh, at the completely, un, the timing is just, it feels like made up almost. Uh, you wouldn't there's just it seems surreal i mean the entire the entire thing for the last year has felt surreal um yeah there are still curfews tonight in certain suburbs uh, brooklyn park and brooklyn center i just got a uh alert on one of the accounts i follow on twitter uh with live video that um folks are out there tonight and the police are in riot gear again and it's a powder keg um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a very surreal, discouraging, upsetting, sickening, uh, year, but the last few days have been just, uh, even worse. I mean, uh, it defies imagination. It does look like Kim Potter, the officer responsible for Dante Wright's death, has been charged with manslaughter. She did resign, as did the uh, chief of police there, correct? Yes, and uh, the city manager was also fired by the mayor, uh, I believe, on Monday mm -hmm. uh, for not asking for their resignations, is the, is the rumor. Um, the state has gone full military response. Um, and it really, I, I think we can update, and this isn't to be flippant, but it, it, it's become a psychological question or a phil philosophical question on par with the chicken or the egg. I mean, do people react violently because there, is it the riot, people being called rioters, or is it the riot gear when they both, you know, wh what is, which is the one that's causing the, the moment? Um, because we've, there are, National Guards, I have a friend who lives in downtown Minneapolis, miles away from where anything has happened, really. And today at like 9 a.m., there are National Guardsmen with M16 standing on the street corner, uh, just full uniform with machine guns in the middle of, you know, a city 
where nothing's going on and this has become a normal visual for us it, it's uh not a good look and it's uh, very disappointing that people all over the country are seeing some of the worst moments of minnesota it is you know days after we got the story of the lieutenant who was pepper sprayed for driving a new vehicle he did nothing literally nothing wrong but drive a vehicle in uniform it is exhausting and i know it is something that you personally can't understand even if no. you wanted to and i'm sorry i did not intend to get emotional but the best thing you can do as a white male is speak up if you see something. It is exhausting being a female and being a black female because not only do I have to worry about men, but now literally, and I'm in a town where I know several officers and I, I trust them and I love them but they're not every officer. And it's ridiculous for me to talk about being exhausted when I have dealt with one, one millionth in my life or zero of the stress that comes with just not being a white person. It's... So I, I, I certainly, the, the, when I talk about exhaustion, I don't mean to equate I know. In any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying the best thing you can do. So many people see something and don't say anything. Say something. Say something. Not that there are many bright spots in a trial that like the Derek Chauvin trial has been, but one tiny moment that has been really, if not encouraging, at least gives you some hope is how many people did either they recorded or they've the, the witnesses that are testifying now and it's you can see how the pain and, and this is not an easy thing to do but how many people have come forward and and continue to say something and want the truth and the story to be told um, if People hadn't pulled out their phones when George Floyd was on the ground with a knee to his neck, then we may never have known. I feel like manslaughter charges, probably not. I mean, on it, it's, it's, it's so double-edged because it should be murder, but I mm. honestly didn't expect manslaughter charges. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, it took, it took how long to get any sort of charges in the George Floyd case. Uh, right. There still have really been no uh, charges in Breonna Taylor's. Yeah, the only charges have been against her boyfriend for discharging his weapon in self-defense. Mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't be, the, the bar shouldn't be so low that we are surprised that someone's been charged this quickly. Yeah. But that's unfortunately where we are. Sorry to start off on such a note, but just 
you can't not address it. And especially no. with you living there and, and being there, you know, and seeing firsthand so closely what's happening. And I look at Dante, who was only 20, and I have a 21 year old and a 23 year old. And he looks like a, he looked like a baby. Mm-hmm. He looked like a baby. And I mean, <sighs> the first day I got my driver's license, I went out, I picked some friends up, we went to a gas station and I bought one of those stupid Christmas trees to put on the car every mirror. Mm-hmm. The first, one of the first things I did without fear for a second that I would get in trouble for it other than I stunk up the entire car and had to tell my parents that everything, <laughs> like why that car smelled like I had an entire can of pine saw dumped. Evidently you're only supposed to open the bag a little bit and then yes. like slowly open slowly it. We just, open we just it. took the whole bag out and it was like, 90 degrees on a July day. We had Oof. the windows up. Yeah. I don't I don't think there was anything illegal in that smell. We sure smelled bad. <laughs> but I mean, that's the first thing. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, hey, let's get one of these car freshener things. It just, it was such an innocent moment. And I never, I never had to worry that, oh, I could get pulled over for this. Right. Never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Well, she has been charged. It is a start. I have never been a police officer. I have been in the military. I do know they keep those things on opposite sides for a reason. A training officer and making an accident like that? No. It's an accident that can't happen. I mean, you don't hear about a train conductor like hitting the wrong pedal on a train or like a, a pilot deciding to, to go down instead of up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's not something that should even be in the realm of a possibility. Like you said, they put them on two different sides. The doctor a, doesn't, I mean, cause the doctor doesn't cut the heart instead of a lung. They're on two different sides. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if lungs, you got two, uh, one on each side, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, like when you get in, when you get knee surgery, I was, I was in the the room when my father-in-law at the time was about to go into knee surgery and it had a big X on his knee with a marker. They put an X on the right knee to make sure they went in on the right. Like there are fail safes. There should be. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, it's, it's, it's a low bar, but at least it's something she's been charged. And I hope this Derek Chauvin trial goes as it should because Minneapolis is already (laughs) about to explode and not just Minneapolis, this country. I mean, and the, the instructions from the judge in the Chauvin trial on Monday to the jurors as they were leaving was don't talk to anybody and don't read the news because they're not supposed to even hear about, they're not supposed to be watching. So they may not even know this happened. Mm -hmm. Which just the the absurdity of that moment. <sighs> well, <laughs> on that note, how do you how do you feel about starting first? <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually excited to start first um, because this uh, my topic tonight is goes all the way back to my childhood and. I have a lot of personal connection to, and I think is a lot more impactful 
than even maybe I re remembered as I dove into it. Uh, and so I get to get real nostalgic and tell old stories uh, about a cool entertainment thing. And uh, for a moment, maybe just kind of step away from reality as entertainment is designed to help us do. All right. Oh, real fast. Any uh, movies or shows that you watched this week? Yes. Uh, the Hulu documentary on WeWork. Uh, and Hulu has been like sneakily putting out some really good documentaries. Like I know Netflix is getting, got all this press and stuff about some of theirs, but like the Tiger Woods one was really good. Mm -hmm. And this one was exceptional. It's only an hour, like an hour and 40 minutes. So it's not a huge uh, time commitment, but I only knew if WeWork is like the idea, like I heard people talk about it. It was, you know, like this company that was making big moves and stuff. And then it kind of like, I heard a little bit about it collapsing. Uh, but it's very interesting to kind of go behind the scenes uh, of this rise and fall of this company that, and really about the, these individuals that are kind of the, like the, the figureheads of it and uh, how things kind of got away from him. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of the Fire Festival, but like if the Fire Festival worked for like okay. a long time and then suddenly failed. Okay. Uh, but because they were a very successful company. Uh, and then the, they kind of, you know, were victims of that own success or expectations. So very good, very well done. Uh, you can sit down and get through it really quick. Also, uh, my new uh, show for my the stationary bike in the little workout room downstairs. Uh, when it is raining, I go downstairs and try to ride that because I don't like riding outside in the rain because I'm uh, I don't like getting wet. Uh, is this new uh, series a relaunch or reimagining of the old David Carradine series Kung Fu? Oh, uh, which has been updated. It's on the CW uh, and uh, been updated, so it is now set in the present day. Uh, follows a young Chinese American woman, uh, kind of dealing with um, using her martial arts skills, but also like helping her community. And uh, I really enjoyed the first episode. The second one is on right now as we're recording this. So either later tonight, if I feel the bug, or on Thursday, uh, tomorrow, I will go and sit down at the bike and watch the episode and just paddle the entire time and try to burn some pizza off. So I uh, highly recommend that one as well. It's been really nice. good so nice. far. It's brand new. So it just only been out for, a, only started a week ago. So you can easily catch up. Okay. I'll have to look into that. And, it, and when I say CW, some people are like, oh, is it like super drop, teen dramedy, like over the top, like that style and it's so far it's been way more grounded so i'm excited about that okay um only thing i really new thing is um falcon and winter soldier just keeping up with that mm -hmm. and um that's about it all right so did you did you see that there is an hour and four minute loop of Baron Zemo dancing available on YouTube? Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So, so evidently, the internet had a hashtag growing called "Release the Zemo Cut" because Daniel Bruhl, the actor, let it be known that they had actually recorded a much longer scene of him dancing, and most of it got left on the cutting room floor. So Marvel, <laughs> being as brilliant as they are. They must have had this ready to go or some like editor had just put it together for like an internal joke or something. 
but they've got this supercut of all these d- dance moves that Zemo does, and they looped it for an hour long. So you can go to YouTube and put in like the Baron Zemo dancing, and it's from Marvel Entertainment, their official channel, and just have it on in the background, and it's Baron Zemo just busted a move. So uh, I'm sure we will be seeing once dance clubs reopen across the world, uh, the Zemo dance the is going to be. It's going to be a craze. Yeah, that's going to be the move. All right. So, well, you get to go first this week. So as we talked about last week, uh, the A-side has been very focused on movies and the excitement of getting back to the movie theater and things being released um, due to a series of work-related things. I wasn't able to go to get to the movie theater last weekend to see uh, Godzilla versus Kong. So I'm hoping to do that this week. But now my schedule is getting even more uh, packed with a brand new movie that is coming out uh, April 23rd. So we are recording this on the 14th. So I've got like nine days. So uh, I should be able to catch Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong this weekend. And then next weekend, either in the theaters or on HBO Max, I plan on watching the relaunch of Mortal Kombat. I didn't even realize they were doing that. Oh, yeah. And it's coming out. It was supposed to come out, you know, pre-COVID when all the release dates, you know, were set. It was supposed to come out in January of 2021. So it's been done for a while. Luckily, it was completely uh, filmed before COVID hit. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of special effects, understandably. So it's been in post-production. They pushed it back a little bit. And now it's going to be coming out here in the next nine days. Uh, And as I dove into it thinking, okay, is this going to be a continuation of the two movies that I saw in the mid nineties? Is this going to like, most importantly, is Christopher Lambert going to play uh, Raiden again? Because, you know, Highlander's the best. Uh, Or is this going to be a complete reboot? Complete reboot. And if you go into it, this is actually the third movie from that original contract. So way back in uh, the early 90s when Mortal Kombat was making its huge cultural impact, and we'll get into just how big that impact was in a little bit, uh, they signed a three-movie deal with a studio, and they did the first one, which came out in 1995. The second one, Mortal, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, came out in 1997. The first one did very well. So well that they were like, awesome, we're going to get that second one out as quick as possible. Second one didn't do as well uh, and basically kind of killed the franchise for a little bit, but they still had this contract for a third movie. So they talked about rebooting it in the early 2000s. There was uh, a plan to even uh, film in New Orleans around the time of the Katrina hurricane, which pushed that back. And then there was another writer in the early 2010 when they were trying to relaunch it. Finally, uh, they got it filmed here in 2018 for 2019 for this release here in 2021. As I'm looking back, I remember how huge Mortal Kombat was when it came out, pretty much for a specific reason. And that was because it had blood. And this sounds crazy, but in 1992, no video games were showing blood. And in fact, the most, you know, the biggest one-on-one fighter game at the time the arcade console game where you'd go to Chuck E. Cheese or up here in Minnesota we had this knockoff Chuck E. Cheese called Circus Pizza and they even had their own animatronic animals and one was like this giant bear who played like a cigar box banjo oh my god that sounds like showbiz that sounds exactly like showbiz pizza maybe showbiz was like the 
like the regional thing, but it was a very circus evidently was just a Minnesota thing. But yeah, this animatronic thing was probably uh, nationwide. It was it was endearing, but also like strangely creepy. And it also looked like these guys were homeless because they were like in an alleyway and one of them lived in a trash can, but it wasn't Oscar. It was like a bird thing. There's a lot of the therapy that probably was inspired by that. But if you went there, you get the pizza for a birthday party and then you go play the games. And then one of the biggest fighting games at the time was Street Fighter and then Street Fighter 2. And all of a sudden, Mortal Kombat Wasn't came Street along. Fighter Brothers? Uh, that was Double Dragon. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. But Double Dragon was a side scroller, you know, moving from left to right, classic. Uh, Street Fighter was all the different, uh, you know, uh, Bear, um, what was his name? In the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Raul Julia play, took the took the role because he needed a big paycheck because he was uh, dying of cancer at the time uh, and just needed a, another uh, paycheck so he could save money for his family. Uh, turned in an amazing performance in just a really horrible movie. Uh, Ming Na Wang, who would, was in uh, Agents of Shield and uh, was the voice in Mulan, uh, was Chung Li in that way back in the nineties. Um, so Street Fighter movie, not good. Don't go watch it unless you like Jean-Claude Van Damme or Raul Julia. So go watch it. But Mortal Kombat came along and completely changed the game. Uh, literally, pun intended. Uh, cartoon fighting had been around forever. Cartoon characters in video games were the norm. Everyone was used to seeing, you know, Mario ring around in his pixelated form and Street Fighter was very cartoonish violence. Mortal Kombat used real sort of motion capture that actors, they filmed actors doing all the moves and then digitized them, but they looked way more human than the Street Fighter. It certainly wasn't a cartoon. It was sort of the advent of motion capture. Uh, they were digitized film, basically. They digitized the characters after they had filmed them. It also had blood when it came to fatalities. And fatalities were this entirely new move within the one-on-one -on -one fighting game uh, arena where if you had got your opponent to their, almost their bar of health, almost all the way down to the end, you could do a special move that would finish them off. And these were gruesome. Finish him! Um, finish him or come get over here. I mean, some of the great lines that come from Mortal Kombat. Uh, I mean, something like ripping somebody's heart out or ripping somebody's or decapitating someone, but pulling the whole spine out of their body or taking your own face off and blowing uh, flames at the other person. Uh, this was mind blowing. And at the time, I was an 11, 12-year-old kid. I was not allowed to have video games. So the only time we got to play video games are when I went to friends' houses or when I was at Circus Pizza or some arcade at the mall. This blew me away. My parents actually told me I was not allowed to play Mortal Kombat or fighting games or shooting games. So I only had sports games and Star Wars games, uh, which... There were shooting in Star Wars games, but it was, you know, it was Star Wars, so it was okay. Uh, I only had sports games on my computer. So I told my parents that I was just playing sports games when I would go over to my friends' houses, but we were always trying to play uh, more gruesome games. So Mortal Kombat was the most gruesome, and it blew everything out of the water in terms of playground time. So when I was in grade school, when we went outside for recess, sometimes we played football, basketball, sports, sometimes we played in the playground, but 
probably 40% of the time we were talking about the movie that somebody had seen or a story that they had heard or something they learned from an older sibling and standing there and re trying to impart the knowledge that we had gained to our friends. I remember one of my best friends, Matt Johnson, would get to see movies because he had an older brother that I hadn't gotten to see yet. So then I would make him tell me the entire plot line and his favorite scenes and his favorite lines from the movie on the playground. What everyone else is like, oh, let's play something. I was like, no, Matt's telling me the story. So he would verbally explain the entire plot line to something like Dick Tracy or Predator or Alien or the Briscoe County Junior episode that I had just missed. And I lived this entire you know, experience through oral storytelling, like I was just sitting around the campfire in Cro-Magnon days. I remember us talking about the different fatalities from Mortal Kombat and how you had to, it was almost like a treasure hunt because you couldn't just do them automatically. You had to have the right series of buttons and movements to get the fatality to work. And once you figured it out, you had this special power to do this stuff. And so people would be crowding around you, whether you were playing on the Sega or you were in the arcade, trying to figure, once the one guy figured out how to do it, then we all wanted to watch that one guy do it. In fact, I remember we'd be playing and we'd get to the, the finisher move and whoever didn't know how to do the finisher would give the controller to the guy who had the power to do the finishing move because we all wanted to see it. Uh, it made such a cultural impact uh, and was part of a, a lot of different games at the time, but it was one of the main ones that ended up starting a congressional hearing uh, on video games. So in, let's see, the, I'm getting the date right here. In 1993, uh, Joe Lieberman and I'm trying to think the other senator that were, were involved are Herb Cole, so Joe Lieberman of Connecticut and Herb Cole of Wisconsin, who used to own the Milwaukee Bucks, led a hearings on video game violence and the corruption of society. And these began, began in 1992. Two games were uh, specifically cited in the hearings for their content. The fighting game Mortal Kombat, which featured realistic digitized sprites of live action actors, blood, and the ability to use violent fatality moves to defeat opponents. Without the blood and gore and fatalities that came from Mortal Kombat, we wouldn't have what has come to be known as the Entertainment Software Rating Board or the company or the board, the agency, the group that decides all ratings for video games. So up until 1994, there was no rating on any video game. It was kind of up to the, uh, the companies that made the video games and the consoles to decide what they would do uh, in terms of how they would market things. So without the blood and gore of Mortal Kombat, we would never have gotten what turned into the Entertainment Software Rating Board, which is the group that decides how you classify various video games. Before that, up until 1994, there was no, you know, like we think of in movies where you got G movies, PG, PG-13, R, you know, that sort of thing. There was no rating system for video games before that. So Mortal Kombat uh, and its groundbreaking graphics and gameplay 
changed the entire industry. And they basically, the government had these hearings, things went really bad in the court of a public opinion for video games. Um, I even remember my parents talking about it and it just reinforced the fact that they were never gonna let me get a console. Uh, yet I can still use computer video games, which is a incongruency that I never wanted to point out when I was younger because I was like, I'm going to let this work because I don't understand how one is okay and one isn't, but I'm going to go with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't get my first console until the day I graduated high school. And I used my money from my uh, open house uh, to buy a PlayStation uh, video game console because I was out of high school and I was finally allowed to do it. Um, and I did it very much right away. And now I have six so Whoa. abstinence only education doesn't doesn't work six uh, different they, consoles yeah connected right now to my three tvs which are set up in my living room all right i'm, I'm a little bit addicted to the screens and that addiction has only grown over the last year of isolation uh so hopefully we're not going to go back to saying screen time is bad anytime soon because <laughs> that's that's not going to go good for me not going to go well for me i should say uh but the esrb came up with the ratings that we see today and that you know we've got the e for everyone the e for 10 plus which actually was a new one they developed in 2005 the most common that you see probably is the t for teen and then of course mature which is mature 17. And then there's also technically, and much like movies where there is an NC 17 rating, but no movies ever get NC 17 ratings because no studio wants to get that because no movie theater would show them uh, or no big movie theater would show them. Uh, there is an adults only 18 plus rating for video games as well, but no console wants that video game on their platform. So hardly like any games ever get created with that level of rating. These ratings have been uh, around since 1994 and have pretty much been consistent with the rare addition uh, that they had in 2005 with the E with the 10 plus, which uh, kind of mirrors how the movie ratings board or the MPAA, I think, mm -hmm. if I remember the initials correctly, um, added the, the PG uh, rating after they had originally come up with stuff to kind of have that halfway uh, line between uh, PG and R. Uh, according to the internet, PG-13 is allowed to have one swear word. So often you will hear, see memes or message board posts. Uh, well, message board let's posts. clarify. PG-13, they can say certain swear words, but they are only allowed one F-bomb. Okay, there, there it is. Okay, I knew there was there was some... I wasn't even sure if it was real because I've only seen it on like Reddit and Instagram and Twitter and stuff mm -hmm. uh, where somebody will be like this movie, like say, you know, some Star Wars movie or Harry Potter was PG-13. So they get one use of the F word. Where would you put it? And those are always really fun threads because everybody's trying to figure out where they would put it in that specific movie, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense. So Mortal Kombat was pretty much the reason that we had to have the entertainment, the entertainment software rating board or the ES. RB. But then again, this comes back to a question of chicken or the egg. Uh, we have Mortal Kombat, which then the response was the ratings and the rating system. But now that there's a rating system, haven't we had many more games that fall into that mature category? Because now the consoles and game creators can say, well, it's allowed, it's just going to be in this, this category. So we'll make games like 
Grand Theft Auto, or we'll build in little things in, you know, Call of Duty or Halo that are, that push the boundaries where they wouldn't have tried that before without the ratings. Cause they're like, Hey, we're going to be a mature rating anyway. So now we can really flesh out what that means. Mm -hmm. So it is an interesting thought experiment of whether or not the ratings board actually resulted in more questionable video games being produced. But now they're done so with a stamp of approval because they can come with a different rating. Uh, in fact, uh, Nintendo was one of the consoles that when Mortal Kombat came out the first time, Nintendo's version didn't have, or it, or it came where it didn't have the blood and the gore. You had to turn that on. And oh, wow. having played it without the blood, it wasn't as good as Street Fighter because Street Fighter is just a was at the time a better uh, user experience for the gameplay. Uh, the thing that Mortal Kombat did was the story in the background and it had the blood. Uh, Sega, of course, had the blood and Sega and Nintendo at the time were really going after each other. That was kind of Sega, Sega's heyday with the Sega Genesis. Um, after that, they kind of, now they're just a com company that makes games. They don't even have their own you know, consoles anymore. Uh, this is for kids, this is way before Sony or Microsoft had even entered into the console area. So don't, don't worry about them yet. Uh, but Nintendo and Sega bumped heads. Uh, Sega actually came up with its own code before anybody else and then tried to shoehorn their code into the entire industry. Uh, and Nintendo agreed that there needed to be a code but absolutely refused to use Sega's code. So they had to change all the, the graphics and the, the ratings names uh, because Nintendo wouldn't have something that Sega created on their uh, properties. Uh, so even though Sega had already done all the work, they just had to change everything uh, because Nintendo wouldn't let Sega be the one that created everything. So a nice little uh, That's what you moment call of- uh, A petty level epic. Oh yeah. And even more so when you dive into it. So I mentioned the Street Fighter movie that came out in 1995 and Jean-Claude Van Damme plays the main character. Mm -hmm. There is another layer of that pettiness where Jean-Claude Van Damme was actually the inspiration for the entire Mortal Kombat game system. They were originally going to do a fighting game based off of Jean-Claude Van Damme. And in, K and in, in fact, Johnny Cage, who is a movie actor who is a martial artist in the original Mortal Kombat is completely based off of Jean-Claude Van Damme. So Street Fighter then got to use Jean-Claude Van Damme in the movie and they didn't and Mortal Kombat didn't uh, when they went to have their movie version. Uh, so taking that pettiness to a whole new level. <laughs> so without Mortal Kombat, we may not have the ratings. Without Mortal Kombat, prompting the ratings board to create these ratings, we may not have had this entire explosion in games that are more for adults. Uh, when you look at how games were made in 1992-1993, before Mortal Kombat came along, the target audience was children. If you look at the place that video games have gone to now, the target audience is more often than not a you know, any 18 plus, uh, you'll, you'll get some, you know, high school kids as well, but it's 18 to 35 in that key target demo. And some of these video games that are being released make way more money than even movies being released in the theater. 
they are they have become huge huge cultural moments i mean i remember there was back in madden has kind of fallen off in the last few years it hasn't been the, the cultural you know moment that it was probably five six maybe even ten years ago but i remember there was a time when the day madden came out companies would have to prepare for people calling out sick the next day Mm-hmm. because some people would buy the game and they would take off the day or they would call out sick and they would play all day all day long and all weekend long and games usually came out on Wednesday so you could lose workers for Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday uh, because they were playing the brand new game uh, that is not something that you would see even with movies you might lose somebody to you know for one evening but you're not going to lose them for a whole weekend because of a brand new game and that's where we've gone so without the domino of Mortal Kombat deciding to make realistic, you know, looking characters, digitized sprites as they called them, or taking motion capture and then digitizing those people, adding blood and gore, and that first domino falling, we may not have the entire mega monolith video game industry that we have today. So when you go to see the new Mortal Kombat, the relaunch that is coming out on April 23rd, you now have an entire historical context and appreciation for the cultural impact of that game and somebody saying, get over here. Finish him! Or finish him, yeah. And evidently, and they found the guy that first yelled that uh, a few years ago. I, I found, I was reading it. Somebody, like, some radio station found it when uh, Mortal Kombat X came out, which was probably six, seven, eight years ago now, uh, as a mobile game, I got it on my phone because uh, one of my coworkers, Annie, was saying, have you played this game yet? And I was like, what, Mortal Kombat? I was like, yeah, you just play it forever. Go, well, there's a new one. Uh, and I played it on my phone. It was even good as a mobile game. Uh, but somebody found the guy who did the the, the finish him uh, or the, the Mortal Kombat, the, the, both the, those, that line. Mm-hmm. And he was able to still do it over the phone. Some radio station called him and had him do it over the phone. Uh, and, uh, still sounded pretty darn good so nice it's uh it's pretty pretty epic and a cultural moment that um without we may not have a lot all right so there you go that's, that's the a side that's the a side well um i can't say that my side is um about martial arts but, there, but oh. there is there is plenty of blood yeah i figured like the the ties that bind this week is the gore (laughs) there's plenty of that (laughs) so this week uh we're gonna get back to the men no we're gonna get back to the male serial killers so this week we're gonna talk about harvey miguel robinson harvey is one of the youngest serial killers in american history Oh boy. Harvey was born December 6th, 1974 in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which means this is not that long ago. So you know if he's... Harvey and I aren't that much apart in age, so a little little concerning. Right. So you know if he's born in 74, his crimes are pretty recent. Um, So sadly, Harvey... His life starts, it seems to be pretty typical for the path that, you know, he's headed on. Harvey's father, Harvey Rodriguez Robinson, was uh, an 
abusive alcoholic who not only physically but also emotionally abused Harvey's mother. Harvey's father eventually left the family and his parents were divorced by the time that Harvey was three. The senior Harvey ended up going to prison for manslaughter after beating his mistress to death. So he's got a pretty good role model there. Yeah. Somebody just I mean, set in the way. Probably good that he wasn't around for a long time. Yeah. It's said that Junior Harvey, even though his father was an alcoholic and abusive, he idolized his father. It's not boding well. Mm -mm. That's not what you want to hear. So in school, Harvey, Junior Harvey, was a really good student and he showed strong academic and athletic potential. Harvey won awards for his essays and was an extreme competitor, not only in wrestling, but soccer, football, and various cross-country events as well. Dang. So Harvey was a very talented student. I mean, like I said, athletic and academically. But while he showed this academic promise, he also displayed a tendency toward the dark side pretty early on. Hmm. Around nine years old, that's when we saw his kind of switch flipped, maybe you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, it was determined by school counselors that Harvey suffered from a severe conduct disorder. He went from a child throwing massive temper tantrums to an adolescent with a quick temper and a real cloudy moral compass. So it seemed that Harvey, who had this really rocky start and not such good examples, really had a hard time deciphering right from wrong. Harvey also, even though he idolized his father, who was an authority figure, he despised authority and he loved the power of being feared by others. Isn't that a line in The Godfather? Something about fear? Yeah, it's, it's not a good statement. He loved the being feared by others. And that's not something you hear about nice people very often. Right. So between the ages of nine and 17, Harvey built up quite the impressive rap sheet. Arrest for burglary, as a, uh, resisting arrest. He was also known as a drug user, which could contribute to his uh, aggressive behavior. Mm -hmm. It's unknown to anyone but Harvey why he began to escalate from burglary. But what is known is he upgraded in August of 1992 at the age of 17. There's usually a trigger, but nobody really knows that trigger. On August 5th of 1992, Harvey broke into the home of Joan Burghardt, a 29-year-old nurse's aide who lived alone in a one-bedroom apartment in a residential area of Allentown, Pennsylvania. It seems that at the time, he took $40 and he left. Well, that's what the way it would seem. But oh. four days later, on August 9th, Joan's neighbor called the police to complain that Joan's stereo had been on for days and no one would answer the door. The neighbor mm -hmm. also reported that Joan's screen had been cut 
and that she had heard her screaming and banging on the wall several days earlier. I don't understand why it took you four days to call Gladys Kravitz, the nosy neighbor. Man, I mean, they just really hated the stereo. Like maybe, maybe the, the stereo just stopped playing songs they liked. You hear some, this is what I don't understand. You hear someone scream. You hear someone bang on the, the wall. Even if you don't call the police in that moment, then, you know, several hours go on and you hear a stereo and they won't answer the door. You don't think to call? Yeah. And it, it make a lot of sense. So police arrive and they, they arrive to check on Joan. And unfortunately, they found her on her living room floor. According to the autopsy, Joan had been beaten, raped, and hit on the head 37 times. Her skull had been fractured and it caused damage to her brain. On the scene, there were a pair of shorts. Police found semen stains indicating that Harvey had either used them after assaulting her to wipe himself or he masturbated and used them to clean up. Unbeknownst to the police, Harvey, of course, we know, we know the end outcome. Harvey was the killer. Uh, but he was actually arrested on a separate charge of burglary and spent eight months in prison. So he's got his first murder under his belt and now he's in prison for eight months. And of course, what does he want to do when he gets out? Number two? Yeah. Murder, not number two. Oh yeah, not number two, number two. (laughs) Murder two. So once he got out, he picked up right where he left off. On the morning of June 9th of 1993, a customer of the Morning Call newspaper called police when her paper hadn't been delivered by its normal time. Now, I know you're thinking, what a Karen, she called the police. No, there is a reason. This is, this is a valid reason to call. Her, her delivery person was 15-year-old uh, Charlotte Schmoyer. And Charlotte was one of these really responsible, well-mannered teenagers She was always punctual, so it was really unlike her to be late. So this caused the neighbor to worry, or excuse me, the customer. Mm -hmm. So the customer looks up and down the street and she sees no sign of Charlotte. But what she did see was Charlotte's cart that she used to deliver her newspapers parked outside of a house. So she checks back 30 minutes later, it's still there, still unattended in front of the neighbor's house. The 15-year-old was nowhere to be found. Charlotte was a student at Dynuff High School, and now we know she's missing. When police arrived, they find the cart half full, and Charlotte's headset was on the ground between houses. Police also found finger streaks on the window pane of a nearby garage, and they concluded someone has taken Charlotte. Hmm. So a tip comes in and leads investigators to a wooded area close by. And when they search this area, they find blood, a shoe, and sadly, the body of 15-year-old Charlotte Schmoyer, who had been buried under a stack of logs. Charlotte's autopsy revealed that she had been stabbed 22 times and unfortunately her throat had been cut 
fortunately in this horrific situation if you can say that investigators were able to collect samples of blood hair different types of hair uh if you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Um, and the samples did not match charlotte so they found hair you know uh, from the head and the genital region and they were not charlotte's Mm. hair so harvey's luck seems to maybe be coming to an end he's pulled over for speeding but well they let him off with just a ticket leaving him free to commit more atrocities. On June 20th, just 11 days later, Harvey enters a home intending to attack the woman of the house, but found her asleep next to her boyfriend. So instead, he's not going to give up his plan. He's going to leave and do some damage, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't attack the woman. Instead, He attacks and assaults, sexually assaults her five-year-old daughter. This sweet baby girl survives, but based off of her injuries, that was not Harvey's intention. Days before the attack on the five-year-old, Harvey had broken into the house of John and Denise Sam Kelly. Harvey stole John's gun collection and... He drunk their whiskey. He's just in the house chilling like, oh, guns and whiskey. Was he in Texas? Yeah. Sorry, Texas, but you know, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> On June 28th, Harvey returned to the Sam Kelly house in the middle of the night through an open window to kill Denise while John was out of town. You see, he'd been watching the house and he knew that John was out of town. Denise tried to escape and she was actually able to get outside, but Harvey grabbed her and the two battled it out. She fought hard. Denise bit Harvey in the arm while, uh, while he repeatedly punched Denise in the face. He cut her lip open. He raped her. He tried to strangle, uh, strangle her to death. This entire time, Denise is screaming. And fortunately this time, a neighbor does respond when they hear screams. They hear Denise scream. They turn their porch light on. And this, it, it scares Harvey and causes him to flee. Mm. When police arrive, Denise is alive, but she's been beaten terribly. And her, the struggle is, I mean, it's, it's all over her, obviously. Mm-hmm. They search the premises. Of course, not finding Harvey, but what they did find is a butcher knife that had been wrapped in a napkin lying outside of her bathroom door. On July 14th of 1993, Harvey broke into the home of 47-year-old Jessica Fortney's daughter and son-in-law. Jessica was found, unfortunately, half naked on the floor in the living room, her face swollen and black and bloody. There was blood splatter on the walls. Jessica Fortney's autopsy revealed that she two had been beaten, raped, and stabbed. Strangulation in this case was her cause of death. What Harvey did not realize when he broke into Jessica Fortney's daughter's house and killed Jessica Fortney was that Jessica's granddaughter witnessed the entire attack and was able to give police a description. Well, one thing you can say about Harvey is... When he sets a goal, 
he's going to try to finish it. You see, four days later, Harvey went back to the Sam Kelly home, the home of Denise and John. He attempted to break in again this time, but now the home had an alarm system. Around 4 a.m., Denise heard a noise and the back door open. It sets off the alarm. This, of course, frightens Harvey. He flees. So now it's pretty obvious to everyone he's not going to stop. He's obsessed. So mm-hmm. police set up a sting and they use, of course, Denise as bait because, well, I'm sure part of this for him is she can ID him. Right. So, uh, right. So, Officer Brian Lewis was sent to the home to do a stakeout. And as everybody predicted, Harvey returned again to the Sam Kelly home on July 31st, around 1.25 a.m. Officer Lewis heard the noises and watched as Harvey broke into the house through a window, which had intentionally been left open. Once Harvey was inside, Officer Lewis identified himself to Harvey and he told him to stop. Harvey, not gonna stop, instead, he responds, by firing shots at Officer Lewis. Officer Lewis fires back. Harvey was hit, and then he fled the scene. Police find a trail of blood leading from the kitchen to the back door, and immediately they notify all the hospitals. A few hours later, the police are called by a hospital and informed that Harvey has shown up to receive treatment for a gunshot wound. Further examination of Harvey found fresh scrapes on his arm and legs, typical of being cut by glass, and a bite mark that was several days old on his inner arm. When police arrived, Officer Lewis was able to identify Harvey as a suspect. Harvey surrendered and was arrested on charges of kidnapping, burglary, rape, attempted murder, and murder. So now armed with DNA, eyewitness accounts, physical evidence found in the homes of his victims, investigators built a massively solid case against Harvey Miguel Robinson. He was found guilty for the rape and murder of 15-year-old Charlotte Schmoyer, 29-year-old Joan Burghard, and 47-year-old Jessica Jean Fortney. He was sentenced to a combined 97 years in prison and sentenced to three death sentences. Harvey and his attorneys were able to get two of the three executions commuted to life sentences. One death sentence remained. As of April of 2006, his execution had been stayed while in, uh, excuse me, as of April of 2006, his execution has been stayed. While in prison, Harvey is converted to Islam. And in October of 2009, a Pennsylvania judge urged Harvey to consider donating his brain to science, calling it, quote, the one gift you could give. Which, I mean, I get what he's saying because it would allow researchers to study the mind, the brain of a serial killer to see what... Is there some, there's gotta be some weird different connection, something in there. 
Yeah, is it something like CTE or you know long-term brain damage that makes them act differently or right. what's going on? Right. While he has never admitted to it, Harvey is suspected in the attempted murder of a young woman named Leslie Gerhardt, which was committed five years before the murder of Joan Burghardt. An intruder removed the screen from the bedroom window and entered the house where Leslie was staying with a friend. The intruder began to beat Leslie with a brick, but ran when her friend started to scream. You see, Leslie and Harvey attended the same elementary school, and he is suspected of stalking her via telephone and in person in the weeks prior to the attack. So that would have been about 91. Yeah, so what is he, 15? Mm, no, he would have been like 12 because he started at 17. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, grief. yeah. Harvey's crime spree was depicted in the 1996 film No One Could Protect Her, starring Joanna Kearns, the mom from Growing Pains, as Denise Samkali. Part of Harvey's crime spree has also been told in the investigation discovery series Your Worst Nightmare. He was also depicted on A&E's Killer Kids and Criminal Minds Season 11, episode titled Pariahville. Harvey is not directly named, but he is the apparent inspiration for the episode's unsub, Matt Franks. Both were, um, okay, now this is, an, this is a, a term we've never used on this episode before, aphibophilic serial killers and stalkers who were young when they committed their first crimes. They targeted women. They killed their victims in their homes by stabbing them. And they stalked their victims to know when it was the best time of day to kill them in their daily schedules. Officer Lewis, who encountered and shot Harvey, shares the same surname as the character Tara Lewis, who killed Franks by shooting him in the neck. Now, as I just said, we've never used this term on this show, uh, a febophilic or a febophile. An aphibophile is a person who is primarily attracted to late or post-adolescence, generally between the ages of 15 and 19. Hmm. Wow, that's a very specific thing. Yeah, there seems to be terms for everything. Yeah. But there you go. That is the story of one of America's youngest serial killers. And fortunately, he was caught pretty much almost as soon as he started i mean yeah not did, did quite for, well, i mean i mean bad enough what he did but right at least it wasn't something that went on for years exactly it wasn't a ted bundy or an ed gein Whew. sam little and i mean the audacity to be to get three death sentences i mean that's just they're like, we're, we're going to, do they like zap them three times or? No, but I think, and I think the reason they do that, because I've seen in situations where they won't even pursue charges because it's like, what's the point? They've already got a death sentence. But in this case, look, he already got two of them overturned. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So Might I think well, it's yeah, put more as many. 
Yeah, I think it's more like of it an insurance policy. Like, oh, look, we we want you to die, so we're going to hit yeah. you with as many death sentences as possible. Yeah. But you can't appeal them all, <laughs> right? But as of when I last checked for when I did the research for this episode, uh, Harvey is still alive. His execution has still been stayed, and I'm wow. sure in the midst of this pandemic, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, you just take his mask away, maybe. And- let nature do its thing (laughs) but like this dude like he went back repeat like you didn't okay they got an alarm dude they got an alarm so they knew Mm. that you were gonna come back you come back again you don't think they're like all right look we gotta up up our game no he was like it's gonna keep like he, he was committed he was committed he, to finishing the job. That's uh, he determination. That is one thing he had for sure. <laughs> um, Motivated crazy. True. I will say that all of our sources, both Adams and mine, will be on our website. All the sources for both of our uh, stories are on our website, which is a side b side podcast uh, while you're there checking out the sources and the stories, you can also check out some merch. Yes, please. <laughs> T-shirts, sweatshirts. I've got on a sweatshirt right now because it's kind of chilly. Um, puzzles, blankets. Maybe we should do some pet gear. We got coffee mugs. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I would like it would be great to get like a little thing for the for the pup. Yeah. We both yeah. got dogs. That's true. I think Benny would really like a Bad Vibes Saves Lives t-shirt. Yeah. T-shirt, t-shirts as opposed to, to scarves. Lorelai <laughs> didn't do scarves. She's not a bandana person. <laughs> or she's not a person, Adam. She's a she's a dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you can support the show several ways. Of course, you can head on over to Apple and uh, give us a rating or review. We would greatly appreciate that. You can also tell your friends about us and get them to listen, to listen in. You can uh, also buy us a coffee. It's buymeacoffee.com slash A side B side pod. If you have a crime that you would like us to talk about or a movie or maybe a that guy from that whatever, and you're like, oh man, Adam would be great at this. Let us know. Our email is a side b side podcasts with an s at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know. Is there anything else? No, that's uh, good to go. Yeah. Of course, we will have our eye on the news. Not going to get back into that. Just we will have our eye on the news. And um, of course, if you've not seen, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you really, really need to because this last episode was intense. And can I just say the audacity of um, Wyatt Russell to ask to wear the uniform that Chris Evans wore? You didn't earn that, dude. Mm -mm. (laughs) You do not get that. What? You didn't I even mean, know about the character much at all. And then you had the gall, the unmitigated gall to say, but can I wear his costume? No. 
he he has done a great job in that character uh but unfortunately being the internet he's also started to receive death threats for his portrayal so um seriously that's not yeah yeah people are like they're the internet shocking uh some people on the internet are having trouble disassociating the actor and the character he's playing um so hopefully people can get a rain on that and realize it's just just his job guys. i guess that means he's doing a really good job because he he really you know i give him i give him his props he's doing an excellent job portraying john walker um like he's really good at this character but yeah you are no steve rogers yeah so some people the internet he's received death threats uh (sighs) uh, and also i've read that uh the director says there is a and they did this to us in wandavision 2 where somebody mentioned like paul bettany said that he there's a character there's an actor in this that he's always wanted to work with uh and that was just the scene where he plays himself twice oh yeah Uh, but yeah but the director mentioned a cameo that happens in the fifth uh episode which comes out on fr- uh, on Friday. So that's another thing to watch for. Uh, it's supposed to be a big one. So if you haven't jumped in yet, get caught up because that one's uh, supposed to have a, a big moment. In it. Do you think we might see Steve Rogers? Well, the way they said it is it's a character that Marvel fans will know that's very grounded and could, you know, would be interesting to see on the level interacting with somebody on the level of like thor but isn't in any upcoming movie well again that could be steve rogers because we know he could he has retired this is true or and we don't know which reality he's in when we see him dancing at the end of endgame though exactly so hmm, it would be interesting it would be interesting although i will say unless they did some digital stuff Chris Evans has not shaved his beard. So it would all depend on when they film this too. Yeah. And this was filmed like this was supposed to come out before WandaVision. Right. But they've had, they've had to do some edits because evidently there was a subplot involving um, a viral disease at one of the camps that the uh, flag smashers are helping people at. Uh, And they felt like that was too close to reality. And so they cut that plot line out. Uh, so that's why it actually came out after WandaVision. Okay, yeah. I remember I read that it had been, it was all filmed before the pandemic. It was just the editing. And that's what has kind of been the tricky part, the editing while everybody is having to work remotely. Yeah. When it's it's been kind of, uh, um, it's amazing that there are so many people that watch every single second of this and can die dissected you know but i saw one uh account i don't know if it was nerdist or everything awesome or uh one of the others that do all the recaps but uh somebody broke down like scenes where you could tell that it was a cutaway and they had a voiceover to like explain something oh wow um, where they changed the line uh and that was just like wow you have to be really really on point to notice really 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 can I just say yeah. another um, side note about this show is, can we just talk about how stunning Florence Kasumba is? She is beautiful. She plays um, Ayo. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I love the uh, and I always say the the name incorrectly. The 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 order uh, Dora Maja. Dormelage. Dormelage. Uh, I love I love the moment where they're like, you don't have juris- jurisdiction here. <laughs> and she's like, the Dormelage have jurisdiction anywhere the Dormelage are. I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, you was do. It, was it Dormelage? I, I, Dormelage. I, I think that's it. Yeah. But yeah. You were closer. I, I think I was I was referencing a Nickelodeon character. <laughs> but yes, they she is beautiful and she's just striking and um man she is one of the understated like actors of the marvel cinematic universe because she appears in what four films yeah well and i i think it's it's kind of silly that no one like i never thought of it but obviously wakanda would have a part in this because of their connection to both zemo and bucky so I mean, it, I don't don't remember anybody talking about how they were going to be a part of this. And I guess there is the outside chance, and this would be super Marvel, that I don't know how long ago they recorded this stuff, but maybe the cameo of somebody that's not going to be in the future movies is Chadwick. Oh, that's a very good point. Now that you say that. Like, I have no idea. And we're recording this on Wednesday. So yeah. when you guys are listening to this on Friday, I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. But I mean, that would be, that would blow people away. That I'm like, I have goosebumps right now. Oh, that would be so good. I think I would cry. And if they kept that under wraps, I mean, that would be huge. I mean, I mean it's so good anyway. But they... That's the thing about Marvel is they are good about keeping things as long as Tom Holland's not involved yeah. uh, or, 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 or Mark Ruffalo. Um, <laughs> if they're not involved, because <laughs> they've both been known to spoil things, but um, yeah. they, were, they were incredibly good at uh, not spoiling the end of um, Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, so, I mean, anything is on the table, but if that, happen even if it's just like a quick cameo or something like where there he there's a scene where he's in for just a split second um that would be i think that would just kind of blow people away what the problem is now we've built it up so much it's going to be somebody else and we're all going to be like oh i'm like that darn adam we got my hopes up (laughs) yeah i'm saying it could be anybody so i'll say All right. So there you go. That is another episode of A-Side, B-Side podcast. Again, just a reminder, sources on our website, uh, A-Side, B-Side podcast dot square dot site. Again, we have social media. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. We've got Twitter. If you would like to send us a story, we'd absolutely love it. I do love to research. So you should see my little notebook with all my notes and stories and things that I have for the upcoming week. So go ahead. And Adam, of course, if it comes to connecting that guy from that show he's all about it so let us know yeah absolutely all right once again thanks adam thanks brooke this is kevin armstrong your host for movie battle each episode we take two films and put a super fan of each against one another to decide which one is best the only rule we have is that you come correct If you're interested in being a guest on Movie Battle, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
As always, thank you for listening to A-Side, B-Side podcast. If you enjoy the show, please, if you don't mind, head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to continue to support the podcast, you can do so by heading on over to Patreon or you can buy us a coffee, as well as buying merch on our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. From Adam and I at A-Side, B-Side podcast, please remember to wear your mask, social distance if you're around people that don't live in your household, and just be safe and happy. Thanks again from us here at A-Side, B-Side podcast.